Hey, fantastic singing. Praise the name of the Lord our God. What a great worship set. Thank you for that worship team. And we are focusing on the names of God, especially as we're entering into what we have come to make a tradition at our church now, uh, the week of prayer. Each year we dedicate a week to not only preaching about prayer, but um, teaching on prayer and giving experiences for prayer. And then we don't pray the rest of the year. No, that's not true. It's just an emphasis, and in fact, it's going to be part of the kickoff for our next series, Majestic, A Thousand Names. I mean, God has so many names. How many names of God do you think you know? There's so many, and I'm just going to give you a, a snack today, if you will, of all the names of God as we work through it in the coming weeks ahead. You know... Not long ago, only a couple months ago, towards the tail end of this past year, I was talking and listening to another uh, pastor share his heart on how he grows his own spiritual life and his time with the Lord. And he was mentioning that he likes to have a word for the year. And I'm listening like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking in my head, I kind of would like a word for the year. But I don't want it to be random. I, I don't want it to be like this thing that, that isn't developed in prayer and hasn't been thought through. And, and, and I would want it to be something that has its roots in scripture. So um, I, I kind of just was listening to how he develops word. And a lot of times it has to do with something that he knows he needs to grow in. And so I kind of left that conversation. I believe it was around November. I left that conversation with going, Lord, I, I would... I want to know what would be something I could use. And so I just left it. I just left it in prayer to the Lord. I didn't, I didn't go, it's going to be this word, you know? Um, and, and, and I just processed it, and I just started praying about it. God, guide me to a word that can be kind of the, the word I'll, I'll leverage for the year in my prayer life, in my devotional life, in an area. And, and what happened is, over that next week, you start thinking about it a lot. And I tend to write things down, and so I started writing down different thoughts I had, but nothing was necessarily formulating. But I noticed in my prayer life, there was something I kept taking to God, and a lot had to do with whether he would provide for this or for that. You go, oh yeah, Chris, you're actually in the college years as a parent. I know what you were praying about, right? God, would you provide for that? Would you provide? And I noticed I was praying a lot about that. And, and I kind of started looking and, and it, it noticed that this word kept coming up in my prayer life. I was listening to myself, um, young people, it's like trending on Twitter, if you will. It was trending in my prayer life. And, and it was this word, and this is the word, it kind of, I've led to this and it actually has led to our week of prayer today. So I'm, I'm gonna give you my word. And you're like, would you say it already? Okay, here's the word, it's this, it's, it's enough. Enough. And I've really been letting this mold my life. And I have a couple guys that, that are, serve as like accountability slash mentors slash friends um, slash spiritual advisors and encouragers in my life. And I dropped this word on a couple and say, hey, would you just pray over this word enough and just see where it shows up in scripture, see how it aligns to God's will for us. And I was noticing in my own life, it was speaking towards my discontentment. Anybody struggle with discontentment? Oh, I'm not talking about just finances. How about discontentment with where your teenage kids are at spiritually? How about discontentment with where your husband's at? How about discontentment with where your grandchildren are at? How about discontentment with the supplies you have? How about discontentment with, go ahead, name anything you want. And I noticed that there was a discontentment. And sometimes I can get a little righteous about my discontentment. And it's gotten me, uh, 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 it's been good for me at times. I'm a discontent leader at times. And I go, it can be better. We can do this better. We, we could do this this way. And you know what? And it can turn from a, a critical thinking, which is a good thing, into sometimes a critical spirit, which is a bad thing. But I noticed in my life, this was an area, and so I said to my wife, I said, I'd like to even apply my word, even to our spending, like, like, like that's enough, we don't need that, like, it's enough. 
And she said, well, then I have a word for the year. I said, what's that? She said, more. <laughs> Some of you know my wife. <laughs> Don't offset me. But we were having fun with it, but I began to really pray about it, and it was helping me. I would go into, I would go into stores, and I'd walk towards the section. I always go to that section, and i go, no, enough. And i turn. So, some young people are in the room going, yeah, this is what my mom says all the time. Enough! Enough! That's enough! Enough already! And so I was really looking at the word in the area of, hey, enough, hey, hey, that's enough, that's enough. Back off a little bit, Chris, that's too much pressure. That's enough, that's enough. Hey, that's enough there, that's enough there. But, but when it really got exciting for me is as it processed in my prayer life, it went from a stop, hey, that's enough, that's enough. Where do you hear, where do you hear, hey, teenager, where is it? That's enough, all right, that's enough. The way you're talking to your mom, that's enough. Where do we hear that, right? Dad, back off, that's enough. But it really took power when I put a question mark behind it. When I put a question mark behind it, it began to motivate me a little bit better. Hey, hey, enough, enough, enough. But watch this, watch this, ready, ready? Where are we not doing enough? Where am I not doing enough? God, is there somewhere in my life where I should be doing more? Like, I'm really good maybe at figuring out, hey, that's enough over here. But where are, are, am I not doing enough? I began to ask, Lord, Lord, with, with my wife, am I, am I doing enough? With the kids, are, am I doing enough at, at work? Where are the areas where we're maybe not doing enough? And it began to motivate me to think through, what can I be doing more? I mean, in, in my giving, am I doing enough? I mean, I think I am, but God, I'm gonna ask you the question. In my serving, I think I'm fine, but like, God, do you want me, am I not doing enough? But then, it took on even deeper meaning, and I've had a couple months now to resonate on this, because the word started showing up in scripture for me. Have you ever bought a car and realized there's a lot of other people who bought your car, and you didn't know until you bought it? You went out and you got the only Honda Civic in Percocy, didn't you? <laughs> only one. And then you drove out of the church park, you drive every, hey, what, what, what? You get a Jeep, you like go like this to people, you know, when you drive by them. Like we're awesome and everyone else is not. And many of us would go, that's true, that's a pretty cool car. But they start showing up, right? Things start showing up. So this enough word starts showing up in scripture. I started highlighting it where I would see this word. All that to say is I really sensed in my prayer life and in my scripture reading, God asking me the question of himself. Ready? Hey, Chris, if that doesn't happen, if that never materializes, if that person plateaus, if this doesn't happen, am I enough? Or does something gotta happen? Am I enough? Folks, one of the best ways to find out if you truly believe God is enough is to know him. Not, not just know about him, but to know him and to know him more specifically in the areas of his names. It's how he reveals himself. It's how he builds his relationship with us. And it's how he renews our mind in the understanding of how he works. When you begin to understand that Jehovah Jireh provides, when you begin to understand that Jehovah Shalom is peace, when you begin to understand that Adonai is Lord and Master, it affects your prayer life, it affects your spiritual life, and it shows you very tangibly, that God is more than enough. He's always enough. He is forever enough. And that's why this week and the sermons leading up to Easter, we're gonna be going through the many names of God. And we're gonna let those names minister to us, shape us, direct us, and lead us to discover, in case we haven't yet, that God is enough. Heavenly Father, how majestic is your name. 
We're gonna, we're gonna study you, God. We're gonna learn about you, God, because this world likes to define who you are, having not read who you are. We like to define who you are and even say things like, I can't serve a God who does that. Lord, we need to know who you are and you have revealed that to us in your word. So Lord, today, through a week of prayer and through our series leading up to Easter, may we celebrate, rejoice and study the names of God, the thousand names, if you will, of our wonderful, majestic God. Amen. I know you by a thousand names and I'll sing them back to you. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name? We don't use that word a lot, right? Majestic. When's the last time you've said majestic? I bet if you have, you were most likely referring to a sunrise or a sunset. How many of you like to take pictures of sunrises and sunsets? I mean, they are beautiful. And young people, as you get older, you'll learn to appreciate it. I used to ride around in the car. My parents would be like, look how beautiful this is. I'm like, really? Let's just get there, okay? As you get older, you begin to talk about these things, right? And one of the things that you say is majestic are sunsets, especially over water. Oh my goodness, they're so beautiful. Do you, do you take for granted the sun? Not usually in the winter. I'm talking to a Pennsylvania crowd here today and we've seen a lot of clouds and a lot of snow cover. When the sun comes out, we all like, ah. ah. You'll hear people say, hey, at least the sun's out. We love the sun. We love the sun. And, and, and that sun, it, it rises and sets and, and, we, and we bank on it. And, and, and at times we call it majestic. But do you know what the psalmist calls majestic? The psalmist in, in Psalm 8, verse one says, Oh Lord, our Lord, don't miss that. Oh Lord, the God of the universe and my Lord. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now that's not common to our language. We're not walking around. If I came up to you in the hallway before Sunday morning, I said, hey, what's majestic? I doubt many of you would have said, our Lord's name. Now you will in the rest of the series. But, but the psalmist says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How many of you have traveled through all the earth? Some of you have barely left Pennsylvania and you're in your 80s. We're not, all of us aren't travelers. We've seen lots of different things, right? We're barely getting out of the United States. And, and the psalmist says, I want to go with the whole earth, the entire earth. Our earth is a massive earth that we're not going to get around in our time here. We're not going to see everything we'd like to see. Even if you're the world's greatest traveler, you may not. He says, your name though is majestic in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. And then he says something in verse three, caught my eye. He said, when I look at your heavens, 
When I go outside, I, I mean, I'm sure the psalmist probably was outside as he's writing this. He said, when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, I see the moon, I see the stars which you have set in place. The backdrop of the psalmist is looking up at the sky. And, and in looking at it, he asks a question. And, and it's interesting, this question he asks, and I wonder if it's the question that I ask when I look up at the stars in the sky, but it is now. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you've set all into place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you even care for him? I, I look at these stars. It's estimated that your eyes, your naked eyes can see some 5,000 stars. If you went out and purchased a four inch microscope, you could see up to a billion. When I look at all this, I go, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And you might say, well, I'm pretty important and lately I've been telling God what he needs to be doing for me and my family. Well, then I think you need to back up for a second and gain some of the perspective of the psalmist because he looks up at the skies and the stars and the moon and he says, oh Lord, look at this, verse nine. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look up at these stars, I say, how do you even care about me? So, so a good illustration for us is to go out into the night sky. Have you ever done this where there's not a lot of street lights and just looked up into the stars? What a great practice. I, I remember we would do um, retreats with the teenagers and, and one of the retreats, I'd always make one of the nights, I'd say, hey, we're all going outside and we're laying down in a field. So we'd be out in these fields, okay? About maybe like 25, 30 teens on these leadership groups with our leaders and we'd lay down on our backs, okay? And we'd look up at the stars and I'd make them quote scripture because they don't have their Bibles or their cell phones. And they'd say, let's see how long we can quote scripture. It was an awesome practice, laying underneath the stars and seeing his expanse. And believe it or not, this verse was always said every year. Somebody would yell out that verse, and if they didn't, I would, just to make sure. <laughs> oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is what? Your name. You know, in our own solar system, don't check out, kids, Oh, the, uh, science class, ah! No, no. In our own solar system, the largest star, some 93 million miles away, thank goodness, or we'd be burned alive, is that sun. That sun. When God said, let there be light, light shot out of that mouth, at 186,000 miles, not an hour, a second. And the stars were formed. And one of those stars was the sun. And how many of you, if you've ever looked at it, going, ah! It's beautiful, it's majestic, it's overpowering, but it's 93 million miles away. It's estimated to be some million times larger than the earth. <laughs> there was a How Great Thou Art tour by Crystal Tomlin. I'm aging myself a little bit. And on that tour, there's a guy who spoke named Louis Giglio. And he referenced an illustration that I'll never forget. And I'm sure it's still on YouTube that you can check out. But he said, if the earth was the size of a golf ball, Okay, how many golfers? He, he said, if the earth was the size of a golf ball, if you compared the sun with the earth being the size of a golf ball, the earth would be 15 feet in diameter. Now, some of you are like, sweet. But, but let me help you, okay? If the earth, I, I just happen to have a golf ball on me. If the earth, I'm, I'm gonna take, Louis Gigolo does a better job than me, but I'll do my best. If the earth was the size of a golf ball, 
the sun would be 15 feet in diameter in comparison. Okay, so our screen is around 16 feet. So make my sun bigger, guys. There we go. Okay, so that'd be about 15 feet. Now ready? Here's the earth. Very quickly, can you find where we live on there? Okay, here's the earth in comparison to the sun. Is this speaking? O Lord, our Lord, who spoke the stars with the breath of his mouth, Psalm 33. How majestic is your name. That'll change your prayer life, just that image. Because how many of us grow up telling God what he needs to be doing for us? And when we get a glimpse of how, ready? This is gonna hurt the most prideful man or woman in the room. Itty bitty you are. When you get a glimpse of that. In fact, James says, not only on top are you little, you are a That's all you are, you're a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Size of earth in comparison to the sun. Let's zoom out for a minute because we've always, science, technology has enabled us to get even a little bit better grasp on the unfathomable aspect of our solar system. But let's zoom out for a minute. We got the sun here, okay? Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, okay? And in 1977, September 5th, anybody alive in 1977? I was two, okay? So, so in 1977, Voyager 1 left the Earth and traveled out towards Neptune. 13 years into its journey, okay? 3.7 billion miles away. Imagine that gas price. It took a snapshot of the Earth while it was still in our solar system out near Neptune. Voyager 1 took a snapshot in 1990 back at the Earth, and and NASA recorded it. You ready? Here it is. Do you see the Earth? Can you find you? Do you see the Earth? That's still in our solar system. This picture is famous. It's called the pale blue dot. So if you're visually impaired, as I am growing more and more every year, I'll zoom and point an arrow at it if you haven't found it yet. Go ahead. There it is. Astronomer Sagan says, all of human history has happened on that tiny pixel which we know as our only home. Adam, Eve, Moses, Abraham, David, Solomon, Apostle Paul, John, Mark, Peter, all on that tiny pixel that we call home all of it on the earth. Ah, I'm having trouble grasping this. Well then, can we zoom out just a little bit more? How many of you are familiar with our Milky Way galaxy? One of many galaxies, by the way, I'd bring up the Whirlpool galaxy, but I don't think we can handle it today. We're in the Milky Way galaxy. It's 125,000 light years in diameter. One light year is 5.88 trillion miles. It is 125,000 light years in diameter. When you're trying to get around the aspect of how big God is, you can't use our regular miles. There's over 400 some estimated billion stars. So now we're just saying things, right? And over 100 billion planets. And did you know inside that sun, which we are the size of a golf ball in comparison to, there is a solar system inside the Milky Way galaxy. It's almost like we have a little housing development in the Milky Way galaxy that we live in called the sun solar system. Do you know where our galaxy is on this picture? Excuse me, our solar system is? Here it is. It's right here. That's where the Voyager was in. Can you, can you see Earth at this scale? 
Psalm 33 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, the starry heavens by the breath of his mouth. <laughs> Let's have some fun with some stars, okay? Let's bring up the sun here and put it in comparison to some of the biggest stars that are in the galaxy. One, can you find the sun here? By the way, earth is invisible at this scale. We aren't even visible at this scale. You have the earth, you have the sun here, then you have Sirius, Pollux, and Arcturus. Look at the size of the star Arcturus. Now I want you to get a good visual of that Arcturus in comparison to the size of the sun, which we are the size of a golf ball in comparison to, and I want you now to compare Arcturus to one of the largest known stars that I like to call um, Betelgeuse. The sun at this scale, guys, is one pixel at this scale. These massive, massive stars. It really changes the song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, doesn't it? It really changes the song, doesn't it? And all God would say was, let there be light. And the starry skies were formed. 186,000 miles a second light travels. Louis Giglio said, if you took a golf ball in comparison to the star Betelgeuse, if you laid it down in New York City in front of the Empire State Building, you'd have to stack six Empire State Buildings on top of each other to get the size of that star. It's not the biggest star known. Anybody know what the biggest star known is? They call it Canis Majoris. Go ahead and name your child that. <laughs> Canis Majoris, V-Y, Canis Majoris. It is a massive star. If Earth were the size of a golf ball, Giglio said, then Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest, six miles high. I liked this image. Look at this one in comparison to the sun. The starry heavens by the breath of his mouth. Here we are on earth, let's bring up our sun which you saw was nothing comparison to Canis Majoris. And now, now I wanna do this again. I wanna do this again. I wanna try the verse again in case it didn't speak to us, okay? Try the verse again. Go ahead, put it up for me. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Amen? You see, when I see all that, and see how big and massive God is. It doesn't scare me, it kinda fuels me. Because that same God, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Why should we study the names of God? I wanna propose three reasons today. One, revelation. God reveals himself in his names. In the very first verse of the Bible. Did you know that God talks about baseball in the Bible, all my baseball fans? Yeah, in the beginning, right? No, 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 stop, stop, let's keep moving. Um, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. But what's beautiful about that word God is if you do a grammatical study on it, you see, this is why the world's not allowed to define God outside of the word of God. Because if you do a grammatical study on the word God, you get the name Elohim. El, E-L, strong one. Him, at the end of it, is El, Him, indicates plurality. What? Yeah, that, that God, Elohim, it indicates plurality. In fact, it's the creator God, Elohim, in third person masculine form of the verb. And so when you do a grammatical study of just that in the beginning, Elohim, you get a plural God, and that's why you read later in Genesis, let us make man in our image. 
plural. Why? Well, because this is, in my opinion, a very much an indicator of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you remember our diagram from earlier sermon series? We talked about the Trinity, that it exists as three persons in one. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. But the Son is God, the Spirit is God, and the Father is God. It's three persons in one. I've heard teachers say, it's like an egg. You got the hard exterior, you got the white part and the yellow part, which a lot of us go, oh, I don't really like the yellow part. Let's just scramble it. Or some people will say, it's like water. It exists in liquid form, it exists in vapor form, and it exists in ice form. And those things are all good. It's one thing that makes up three parts, but that doesn't even come in comparison to the illustration that we have of a triune God. Elohim teaches you a theology of God that will prevent you from saying, I believe God is this, just the name. But did you know El has many other aspects to it, El? Yeah, it's the most ancient name of God, El, but there's other aspects to the strong one. You have Elohim, creator God, Elielon, most high God. The Hebrews would worship Elielon, the high God. You have lots of gods like Baal and all these other gods, but we serve Elielon, the high God. You have Elohim the everlasting God. He's the God of eternity. I'm praying for my friend here who's doubting their salvation. I'm praying to El Olam, the everlasting God. When you understand the names of God, it informs your prayer life. Elroy, the God who sees me. I feel like nobody sees me. Elroy, the God who sees. Hagar gave him his name. El Shaddai, all sufficient. Elo Yisrael, the God of Israel. He is known by his names. Oh, in Micah 4, 5, it says this. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The Hebrews would have known God typically through three names that you might be familiar with. Elohim, Adonai, and Yahweh. You say, Chris, that doesn't sound like Yahweh when I read that. That would be really bad for elementary students, wouldn't it? Sound it out. Adonai means master. Elohim means strong one. Yahweh. Y-H-W-H exists because Hebrews wrote only in consonants. There weren't vowels in their written language. But that Yahweh is where you get the name Jehovah. What? Where did that come from? Well, Exodus 27 Hebrews would read, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not yet let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So they said, we're gonna even stop saying it. They stopped saying his name. In fact, they used the words like Hashem or the name or the most common phrase, Adonai, Lord, because they didn't wanna say, they didn't wanna try to say Yahweh, the name God gave himself at the burning bush. But it's from that Adonai and it's from that Yahweh where you get the name Jehovah. Now, I'm a visual learner. I could tell you that a hundred times, but if I see one image, I can learn. So I'm gonna show you an image and maybe this will help you understand where you get Jehovah. Show it for me, please. Yahweh is consonants, Y-H-W-H. Well, Adonai's Vows were put into Yahweh so that it could be a name that was at least pronunciable. And you say, well, I see Yahuwah. And that's true, but if you study language a little bit, you know that Yah can also be Ja, and Wa can be Va. And so what you look at in the middle there is Yahweh and Adonai blended together, it's Jehovah. And so Yahweh and Jehovah can be interchangeable. And some of you are going, this could actually be a very interesting series. Oh, it's gonna be, I pray it is. It's been a great study for me, I know that. 
We're going to learn so much about God. Psalm 30 says, sing praises for the Lord. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. What does holy mean? It means distinct. It means set apart. How is his name set apart? Well, let's take some of the Jehovah's. I'll pull them up here. Jehovah, or Yahweh, I am. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Mekadeshkim, the Lord sanctifies. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Rahi, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah... (laughs) Sikindu, the Lord is our righteousness. And Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. I love that one. If you're at week of prayer this week, you get to circle some of your favorites. I would circle that one. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. Every time I sing the song, the God of angel armies, I'm thinking in my head, Jehovah Sabaoth, or you could say Yahweh Sabaoth. I have prayed by a child's bed in our house. Dear Heavenly Father, Jehovah Sabaoth, surround this house with your holy angels. One of my heroes of scripture, David, he turned to a giant and he said, you come at me. You come at me with your taunts of the God of Israel, but I come at you in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth. Look out, look out, Goliath. You're going down. Do you want to know why? Because that servant knows the God he serves. Amen? Getting all excited. Therefore, God is highly exalted him. Ooh, we're going to talk about Jesus. Let's do it. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name. You like all those names? Yeah, there's a name above all names. What is it? Jesus. So there's something about that name. Young people, you will find this. You can say, Lord God, all you want. You drop the name of Jesus, there's going to be a response because there's something about that name. What is there? It's the name above all names. And Jesus has so many names I couldn't fit them on one PowerPoint slide. I would need mil. No, I won't need millions. Let me remind you of some of his names. Messiah, Emmanuel, author and finisher, lion of the tribe of Judah, the bridegroom, the bright morning star, our chief cornerstone, the prince of peace, lamb of God, man of sorrows, high priest, eternal father, king of kings. Lord, I'm broken. My family is discouraged. I'm crying. I'm praying to you, Jesus. You're the man of sorrows. You understand me. It will change your prayer life when you know the names of God. And this is the most beautiful part. Joel 2.32 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? One time I gave a gospel presentation. I thought I did a good job. We came down to the gym. We were shooting hoops. I gave the presentation up in that room. We came down here, we're shooting hoops. This kid comes over to me and goes, Pastor Chris. I said, what? I got to ask you a question, but I'm embarrassed to ask it upstairs. I said, go ahead, man. Hold on, let me get my three up. Okay, now what? He said, what are we saved from? Good question. Well, scripture teaches there's a heaven and a hell. And if we don't know Jesus Christ as our personal savior, scripture tells me my eternity is hell. And so I don't want any of you guys to do that. So I try to tell you about the gospel, which is the good news that this massive God of the universe loves you. You can't trust what the television's telling you about God. You can't trust what that person who is living with wounds and anger, who has not read the scriptures, who does not have an accurate vision of God. Let them define him. He is the God, this massive God, and he loves you. What is man that you are mindful of him? You must be a loving God to be that massive and talk individually to people who don't even show up on a golf ball. An illustration. Why should we study the names of God? 
relationship, to get to know him. You say, I, I, I want to know God better. I'm intrigued. I want to learn some of his names even better. And I want to leverage them in my own prayer life so that I'm reminded on those days where I'm tempted to make up a God in my own image. How do I know? How do you know if you made up a God in your own image, by the way? Here's how. If your God never disagrees with you, he's always agrees with me. Politically, we are the same, Everything. If you got a God that always agrees with you and he's tame and he always is like, yeah, that sounds good, you don't probably have the God of scripture. Because I'll tell you what, when I study the God of scripture, he confronts me with stuff. Sometimes he'll say, that's enough. And sometimes he'll say, we need to do more. That's not enough. You're breaking the 10 commandments to say, I can't believe in a God would, but you don't get to define who God is. And when we think we're God, isn't it good to get a little bit of an illustration and hold up the golf ball? He wants a relationship with us. And one of the most beautiful stories of scripture of an almighty God ministering to a servant is found in 1 Kings 19. Are you familiar with the story? 1 Kings 19, are you familiar with it? I've got a juniper tree up there. It's kind of half dead. It's a broom tree, you could also call it. Now, are you familiar with it? Do you remember somebody who was laying underneath a juniper tree, a broom tree? Anybody remember the name? It's Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, who walked in to the king's room and said, it's not gonna rain, and it didn't the one who stood on the top of Mount Carmel. And when all the gods of Baal danced around and tried to get their God to make the fire go, they cut themselves, they hurt themselves. Elijah called on God and fire came down. Boom! And lit the altar. That would make me probably believe. That Elijah. That same Elijah was so defeated, so discouraged, so despairing, wrestling with thoughts of discouragement, defeat, doom, even maybe depression, came up to that juniper tree and laid down and cried out to God. And he used one of his names. Are you curious? In chapter 19, scripture says, Ahab told Jezebel, the queen, all that Elijah had done about at Mount Carmel. And then he specifically pointed out how he killed all the prophets with the sword. You know what happens? Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah. There was no texting back then. Sent a messenger saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. <laughs> Jezebel, you're talking to Elijah. You're talking to fire Elijah. He's gonna shake this off. This is a no big deal. Jezebel, to Elijah, you're just itty bitty. No, nope, nope. This shakes Elijah's core. And look at the response. He was afraid and he rose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. He, he basically said, I gotta run. Who, who's running from God right now? You don't need a preacher to say it. You know you are. God is trying to reveal himself to you and you're running like Jonah. Maybe God brought you in or tuned you in just for this moment. You want to know something? Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, he didn't know he was a Bible guy. Nobody told him. He's running. Okay, I'm listening, Chris, because I've been running. 
He's running and he tells his messenger, you stay here because I'm guessing Elijah's got some dark thoughts in his head and he doesn't even want the, the messenger to see what is about to happen. And he goes off on his own and he, and he went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and he sat down under a broom tree and he prayed to God and he asked him something. He said, God, it is, oh my word, there it is. Enough. It's enough. It's enough. Elijah, what? Look how God is using you. Look how God is using you, Elijah. And one threat, one obstacle, and you're going, it's enough. Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. I'm not any better than my dad. My dad was this way. I'm this way. I'm no better. I, I just want to die. Just take my life away, it's enough. You ever been there? I mean, things are going well, you're seeing God work and then one thing happens and it's like, I'm done, I, I don't. And he lays down under the broom tree saying to God, enough, it's enough. I fought a good race, I fought my fight, it's enough. And look at this, he lays down under the broom tree. He has all the symptoms of somebody going through doom and despair and discouragement. One, he's exaggerating his problem. He, 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 he says, I'm no better than my father's. It's enough, Lord, take away my life. And he's exaggerated. And that is so tempted. We're so tempted to do that when we're going through trouble. We're going, there's, there's nobody but me left. What are you talking about? Your family's upstairs. Nobody but me, God. Your church is on Fifth Street. You could go to it and they would encourage you. Nobody even cares about me. We, we exaggerate our problems. I'm not making light of them, but that's what we do. We exaggerate our situations with our own children when they're going through high stress. I tell them, grab the map. We look at Google Maps. I said, you see Percocet? Yeah, that's where we live. Okay, zoom out one time. Whoop, we're gone. We always have to remember, we exaggerate our problems. That's how the devil tries to discourage you. He exaggerates the situation. Second, self-hate, watch out. Discouragement comes when you start beating on yourself. And he says, I'm no better than my father's. I tried to wipe out Baal and I couldn't do it. My parents, fathers couldn't wipe out Baal and I'm a failure in life. You just saw fire come down, Elijah. Jezebel's so big and his God is so small right now. And then he does the number one thing that leads to further discouragement. That is isolate yourself. Exaggerate, self-hate, and isolate are the symptoms of someone going through major, major juniper tree moments. What will the God of the universe do? What will the God of the, what will the, God of the universe, will he go down into the golf ball? Will he stop by Bathsheba and talk to his Elijah? What will he do? Will he stop down and talk to him and behold, Behold, an angel touched Elijah while he's sleeping and said, arise and eat. God sends an angelic messenger and Elijah, he wakes up and he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And all the bakers in the room said, that's what I'm talking about. When somebody drops you off a cake, you go, thank you. Just like Elijah. God bakes him a cake so that he can eat and be refreshed. You would think if you woke up from a juniper tree and there was a hot cake in the middle of the wilderness, you would go, God is good. He went and then went back to bed. Come on, Elijah. He's so desensitized by great and mighty works that a cake shows up to him and he's still questioning his life. And now it's turned from God, that's enough to God. Question mark, enough? Because he laid back down again. Have you ever done that? You've gotten so discouraged, you got this ounce of courage, and then you're right back where you were. Despair makes us question. Depressing thoughts make us question God, and we're so susceptible to them right after moments of victory. You have this really high victory, and then 
boom, you get hit. And you go from God is majestic to, I don't even know if we're ever going back there again. We've gotten to a point in our marriage where if Rebecca and I get a surprise check, I go, hold that, one of the cars is going down. (laughs) We're almost like, you know, like, whoa, we didn't know we were gonna get that kind of check. I said, check the heater in the basement. We've gotten to a point now where there's a victory, there's a defeat on the way. We're watching out when the God builds a church, the devil likes to build a chapel next door, doesn't he? That's why you all pray for us. Pray for one another. There's a fatigue factor, right? He's exhausted. But on top of that, he's had the death of a dream. He's had doom come knock at his door. Jezebel said, I'm gonna kill you. But Elijah, remember, you're God. So the angel of the Lord, I love this, he comes back a second time and he touched him and he said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. That's amazing. God didn't come and go, let me give you three reasons why you're great, Elijah, and you can do it. God knows our capacity. He knows we're small. He knows we were created from dust. The journey's too great, Elijah. You need refreshment from God. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And all my Bible studiers go, we're going to Horeb? That's the mountain of Moses. Is God gonna show up? Is God, the God of the universe, gonna show up for Elijah? Even though this is very disappointing behavior for a man of God to be laying under a tree doubting God's goodness and wanting to die. This massive, mighty God wants to talk to his son, Elijah. 40 days and 40 nights, often a time of discipline or a time of judgment. So I don't know what God was doing with Elijah, but he got to the Mount of God and there scripture says he came to a cave and he lodged in it and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what do you think God's gonna say? I'm, I'm, I'm so interested. Elijah's seen fire come down. He's laying under the juniper tree. He's telling God, enough, I'm done, I'm enough. And God says, go up to the Mount of God. He gets up there. Keep in mind, God instructed him to go there. And God says this, what are you doing here, Elijah? I know what it's like, just like you know what it's like, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and be laying on your bedroom floor crying. Isn't it good to know we have a God going? What are we doing here, Chris? And Elijah, he's bold. He's going to tell him. He says this, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Hmm, Jehovah Shalom, Sabbath. For the people of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and they killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am only left and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Oh boy. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains, broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. It's almost like this moment of, ah! and you're like, huh, 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 huh. but the Lord was not in that. And, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. I mean, Elijah, but the Lord wasn't there. What's going on here? And after the earthquake, a fire, a fire, oh, oh, oh the heat from it, but, but, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Now, 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 why is God whispering? I mean, why wouldn't he just yell to him, Elijah, get up, do you realize how big I am? But he knows 
how frail Elijah feels right now. And this massive, awesome God of the universe, I don't care what your TV says. The massive, awesome God of the universe goes and says, Elijah, why? Why would he whisper? Because in order to talk to somebody in a whisper, you have to be what? Close. You gotta be close. How many parents know what it's like to go, you're gonna be okay, buddy. You got this. It's only first grade. I'll get you after lunch. <laughs> you mean the God that can go, ah, is the God who goes, hey, I know this has been a hard year. But guess who needs to stop talking all the time for him to say it? And when Elijah heard the whisper, he wrapped his head, face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. For the people of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword and I only am left. I'm left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nishni, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Melaholai, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Get back up, son. I already know how this is all gonna play out. What is God doing in this moment? He is reminding Elijah. He is. Always enough. He is more than enough. And God is forever enough. The God of angel armies, Jehovah Sabaoth, sent his angels to minister to his child on an earth that's the size of a golf ball in comparison to the sun. And his recipe for renewal was rest, time in God's words and listening to it, and a change of perspective. How many of you, to take the illustration from Louis Gigolo, how many of you could use a golf ball sitting on your office desk, reminding you that you have an unbelievably massive God? What kind of renewal could you come to your life if you knew his names and knew even how to pray his names? For that is the third and final reason to study God's name. It brings renewal. Folks, when they went up to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. Do you remember what he said? Do you remember his first line? You wanna learn how to pray, guys? Okay, let's do this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be, help me church, thy let me do it one more time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Know my name. The devil, his forces, the world, they've tried to redefine me. I am a massive God. I am more than enough. And I love you. And I'm willing to come all the way down to your juniper tree and say, Get up. 
I can be renewal. This week, come out for how majestic is your name, but come out for our majestic week of prayer and go through some rooms. God's thousand names, Elohim, creator God, then into the Yahweh, I am that I am room, Jehovah Jireh, the Holy Ghost room, the Holy Spirit, and yes, of course, Messiah room. And witness a teaching walkthrough, a time for prayer, and a great, great lesson in the names of God. Bring your small group, sign up your family, come by yourself. We're open through the week. We're desperate to see you there. And we look forward to you growing in the names of God. You'll get a journal as you walk through that will help you write out the different aspects. If you're not from the state of Pennsylvania or from our area, you might have some opportunities to engage with us online. Make sure you follow us. We're excited for week of prayer and everyone who comes, is gonna get a golf ball. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use, use this week to help our church get to know you better. God, we love you so much. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. For when we look at the stars and the moon and the skies, the God who spoke light, the God who created heavens and earth, this massive, massive God, Who are we that you are mindful of us? Lord, for many of us, we've spent a lot of our prayer life telling you what you should be doing for us. I pray this perspective helps humble us a bit to say, I need to know you better and it will probably alter how I've been praying. Thank you, Lord, how majestic is 